broadcasting in some tiny town in Nevada. This is the Camp Church Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 61, Revolution and Conspiracy. Hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Welcome, everybody, to the Camp Church Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you in the work of evangelism. I am currently somewhere in Nevada, uh, a little bit outside of Reno, don't remember the name of the town, like Fugel or Fogel, and I'm heading from maybe a mistake. I'm heading from Moscow, Idaho, back to Los Angeles to grab some stuff out of an apartment. Hopefully it's not looted and burned and all that sort of jazz. Um, I've not been in LA for a few weeks and a friend of mine said, you're going to LA. And then they made it sound like an absolute disaster. So it almost, almost sounded like the whole city was burned and salted. Um, I called some other friends there and it sounds like it's, uh, I guess some pockets of disturbance, but who knows how bad it really is. I've not uh, personally seen it on the news or anything like that. Uh, I am kind of following everything. I've been a little obsessed over the weekend. It's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty wild, and so I'm uh, yeah, we're on the cusp perhaps of uh, some sort of revolution or a civil war or violence. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next few weeks and months, and I think definitely if Trump wins, uh, we'll see more chaos. This is ultimately, I think kind of about Trump and a lot of the other stuff is, uh, I believe, pretext. Um, but what I want to do, and uh, kind of mention it uh, two weeks ago, actually, I did not have a podcast last week, but two weeks ago, I mentioned that we're going to get into a little bit of conspiracy theories just because it's kind of a huge thing uh, the last few weeks. And even if you're following Twitter, uh, you know, what, what exactly is a conspiracy theory? So what we're going to try to do is at least get a basic working definition. And then if you're paying attention to Twitter and the riots, um, you know, you can have different feeds saying, uh, basically it's a white supremacist conspiracy and that, uh, you know, it's Antifa conspiracy and it's this, it's that. And it's, and it's always something other than, you know, say people just went out to the street and started doing stuff. And so there's powers that be that are pulling the strings and funding it. And, you know, say there's a, uh, I would see pictures, who knows if they're true, uh, who knows what you can believe on the internet, but there'd be like a, you know, kind of like a pile of bricks in the city and uh, suggest that someone dropped them off beforehand and stuff like that. So who are these people and who's funding it and all that sort of jazz, or is it not taking place and it's just a lie? And so uh, what I want to at least today strike at is the basic idea uh, of Christians and conspiracy theories, because I, I think oftentimes many Christians are conspiracy, 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 uh, conspiracy theorists, and possibly for good reason. Uh, and part of that, I, I think, is that we believe in a personal universe and that we believe that there is a God that governs the cosmos. And just as there is a God that governs the cosmos, we also believe that there is powers and rulers and principalities and authorities over this current dark age and who are working against the kingdom of God. And so I think every Christian, in some small sense of the word, is going to be conspiracy theorists. And that's one of the challenges when you start to get into conspiracy theories and trying to get a working definition is that you realize that like anybody, even those who adamantly oppose um, conspiracy theories, uh, you're going to find out that they are, uh, you know, they, they can't give you a definition ultimately uh, that, that's not going to be satisfying uh, to the idea that there is no conspiracy. So even I saw an article a couple weeks ago in Christianity Today that mentioned, uh, it was basically kind of critiquing the idea of people buying into conspiracy theories and why we shouldn't. And he basically admitted, though, that any definition of conspiracy theory, we're going to be able to find 
a conspiracy theory in history. So, you know, if you're just playing at home, you can get the idea of, um, you know, uh, MK Ultra or there's Operation Garden Plot in Northwoods. I think it was Northwoods actually was a uh, an idea. It was never executed uh, back in the 60s when the Cuban Revolution the had taken place that uh, we had some people in our government that thought it might be a good idea to crash some planes in the buildings so we can go to war with Cuba. And that was a genuine idea that if you Google that, you can find it on like ABC News and mainstream resources. And so when the truthers from 9-11 look at 9-11 and say, look, here's Operation Northwoods and here's a very real possibility that the government was behind it, it's not totally unreasonable uh, in and of itself. So anyway, what I want to do is get at a uh, maybe like a little bit of a biblical idea and a little bit of a definition on it. But before I get into that, I want to address a little bit more the uh, crowds and the protests and uh, kind of a spiritual component of what's going on. As you're looking at this and even just the nature of the confession, I, I think it was a fake video, but I saw a woman today on her knees before a black man asking for forgiveness and stuff like that. And you kind of see the moves by the cops going for uh, some sort of humility and contrition. And I think there's an appropriate place, obviously, in a Christian context for that. Um, but in the context of as we're seeing it in secularism, uh, it's pure humanism, and it's uh, genuinely, I believe, an alternative religion. And one of the things that is going on, and I'm uh, generally not a biggest fan of Eugene Peterson, uh, but I think he has some insight and some wisdom. Uh, but one of the things I think that is really going on is our culture becomes more and more pagan. I, I think the fruit of a secular society, going back to the French Revolution, is basically revolution. That there, that you get utopian visions. Uh, man is malleable. Man is basically good, and we can get to a place of perfectionism and kind of a, a egalitarianism and and all those sorts of things. And so, one of the things that Eugene Peterson pointed back pointed out in a personal letter. Uh, was the appeal of crowds. And I think that's one of the things that we often see. And I think what's going on ever since Trump got elected, and it's always been there with the left. The left has always kind of been uh, protesters and movement people and crowds people. And the big part of that is because they're they're not Christian. And so it is their experience of transcendence. And I think that I'm going to read a little bit of this letter from Eugene Peterson. I just believe he has a lot of wisdom. And I think it's something that you want to kind of have. It's not a thing to bludgeon uh your, your opponent. It's not a thing to bludgeon the uh, the lefties who are going to these protests, uh, but it's a thing to understand what's going on here. And even as you watch some videos of people laying down, uh, I saw a video of uh, people in Portland, Maine, uh, laying down with their hands behind their backs, and I don't know how long they did it, but someone else commented that this is a uh, th- this can only be understood in the context of a religious experience, and I believe that that guy is right. And then someone else commented about how in the early 2000s that the Christians were going to take over America and they have these weird rituals and everything else. And uh, now, lo and behold, look at the secular man in 2020 with his uh, strange rituals that are kind of mimicking, uh, to some extent, Christianity. Um, but th- this part from Eugene Peterson that I think is uh, really good is he's discussing transcendence, and he says this. Classically, there are three ways in which humans try to find transcendence, religious meaning, God meaning, apart from God as revealed in the cross of Jesus through the ecstasy of alcohol and drugs, through the ecstasy of recreational sex, through the ecstasy of crowds. Church leaders frequently warn against the drugs and the sex, but at least in America, almost never against crowds, probably because they get so much ego benefit from the crowds. But a crowd destroys the spirit as thoroughly as excessive drink and depersonalized sex. It takes us out of ourselves, but not to God, only away from him. The religious hunger is rooted in unsatisfactory nature of the self. 
We hunger to escape the dullness, the boredom, the tiresomeness of me. We can escape upward or downward. Drugs and depersonalized sex are a false transcendence downward. A crowd is an exercise in false transcendence upward, which is why all crowds are spiritually pretty much the same, whether at football games, political rallies, or church. So, why are pastors so unsuspicious of crowds, so naive about the false transcendence they engender? Why are we uh, so knowledgeable in the false transcendence of drink, and sex, and so unlearn the false transcendence of crowds. There are many spiritual masters in our tradition who diagnose and warn, but they are little read today. I myself have never written what I really feel about the subject, maybe because I'm entirely unsure of myself. Uh, there uh, may be a few pastors alive today uh, who may agree, and he kind of goes on to uh, basically why he hasn't written about it. But I think he gets uh, that gets to the point that the reality of what we're seeing taking place marching through the streets, there, and I, I don't want to 100% downplay in and of itself going to a protest and going out into the streets and taking on those things. Um, but in the context of secular man and what we're seeing, uh, it is pri- primarily, I believe, a means of experiencing transcendence. And then you start to throw in the confessional and you get to be able to get into the idea of sin. I think it truly is an alternative religion, a secular man's religion. And ultimately, it's going to be revolutionary because it's revolutionary uh, religion. And ultimately, they believe that man is perfectible and man's basically good. And the ones that are holding us back uh, are, the, are the wicked people out there who are not, uh, you know, bowing a knee and confessing and coming out to the rallies and everything else. And so the as I, it's, it's been kind of frustrating watching pastors thinking they can almost like appease the crowds and not speak up against it. And we obviously need wisdom as we're pastoring to uh, people in particular cities and particular towns and understanding our context. And we do want to be all things to all men. Um, but what I'm realizing more and more is that many pastors, I believe, are actually afraid of the American left and they are afraid of uh, their narratives and everything else. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I believe that's something that we are experiencing and that we're seeing and, uh, you know, we have to think about how we address it. And so for the rest of this podcast, what I basically want to get at is uh, the, you know, address a little bit the idea of conspiracy uh, theories. And as we get into that idea, I think maybe Hillary Clinton will be helpful to that end. You mentioned attacks on the early 90s. Right. Do you still believe there's a vast right-wing conspiracy? Don't you? <laughs> I'm asking you. Yeah. It's gotten even better funded. Uh, you know, they brought in some new multi-billionaires to pump the money in. And uh, look, these guys play for keeps. They want to control our country. Senator Sanders and I agree on that completely. They want to rig the economy so they continue to get richer and richer. They could care less about income inequality. They solve their consciences by giving big money to philanthropy and, you know, getting Great pictures of them standing in front of whatever charity they donated to. But make no mistake, they want to destroy unions. They want to go after any economic interests that they don't believe they can control. They want to destroy our balance of power. They want to go after our political system and fill it with people who will do their bidding. So that is former um, Secretary of State and Democratic presidential hopeful once upon a time, telling us that there is, in fact, a vast right-wing conspiracy. And uh, she originally made those claims back in 96, and I believe it was before uh, the Lewinsky incident was revealed, and she said there was a vast right-wing conspiracy to bring down her husband. So here you have a pretty mainstream person saying that there is a vast right-wing conspiracy. And then you have people like Alex Jones, who you may or may not be familiar with, but uh, Alex1995 Jones, who's always selling videotapes for 1995. So Alex1995 Jones uh, kind of 
he runs everything to a conspiracy gate, and it's always they, 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 just as Hillary there was using the language they. And a few minutes later, she ended up identifying the Koch brothers as uh, kind of an open conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy because they're out in the open. Um, uh, but then you have somebody like Alex Jones, who is you know going to like Bohemian Grove and trying to find uh, dark mass satanic things behind things. And I think some of some of the stuff may not be uh, totally wrong. Uh, but I don't think he's really looked at the world through a Christian grid. And I think he is a bit off his rocker and the hardcore conspiracy theorists even think that he uh, might possibly be the CIA. Uh, and then you have uh, extreme people who believe that we're, you know, we actually are governed by lizard Kings and stuff like that. And that there are some people living amongst us. Like if you remember the TV show from the eighties called V, which I think they rebooted at some point. And I know some people that kind of uh, believe along those lines. So you kind of have a, a spectrum of ideas here and even Noam Chomsky, makes a comment that if you want to dismiss somebody in academia, you call them a conspiracy theorist. And so it's obviously persona non grata to be a conspiracy theorist. But if even if you look at the Trump administration, it seems to be pretty clear that over the past four years, there are people in power that we don't know that are plotting and planning to try to bring him down in one way or another. And, you know, on the flip side, even if I, if I look at myself, I was in political power, there'd be little doubt that I would be uh, trying to abolish things like the IRS and all that sort of jazz. So in and of itself, the prima facie acceptability of a conspiracy theories, I think, is kind of a self-evident truth. And any book that you look at, um, they kind of give you a definition that ends up getting there. But but and I, there's a pretty good book, and it's called Suspicious Minds. Well, I, I shouldn't say it's a good book. I've only dabbled in little pieces of it. But one of the things that he uh, quotes that he does a pretty good job here is he goes uh, conspiracy theory is a little bit like pornography I don't know if I know how to define it um, but it, I know it when I'm looking at it and so you because he acknowledges that uh, you know from robbing a bank to a terrorist attack because obviously the men on 9-11 if you take the uh, 19 Saudi nationals and normal story they conspired behind the scenes to bring down those buildings um, or is there darker forces in play? And so that's the debate with the conspiracy theory, and that's where Christianity comes in. So in Psalm chapter 2, you have uh, the psalmist saying, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed? Uh, the, kings, or the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sits in the heavens laughs, he holds them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and vex them uh, in his sore uh, displeasure. And so when it says uh, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together, um, it, uh, my ESV, that's from the KJV, but my ESV, I believe, says uh, uh, that the kings and the rulers, they conspire uh, against the Lord and against his anointed. And then all throughout Jesus' ministry, you have people conspiring. And uh, if you're even reading the book of Daniel, there are some watchers working behind the scenes. And so uh, for the Christian, there are satanic personal powers or demonic powers that are personal beings back in the cosmos that are plotting against the Lord and against his anointed. So for a Christian, there is going to be something like a conspiracy theory. And so even in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says um, that if the, the, the kings of the earth, if the, or if the, the rulers of this age uh, knew, uh, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So there's also another sense in which the Lord conspired against them. And so for the Christian, because we believe that co uh, personal beings back the cosmos and that personal actors are acting in the world, not only human, but also, um, we'll just call them divine, uh, transcendent, invisible uh, personal beings uh, that are operative in the world. Um, it's not totally unreasonable to buy into the philosophy of conspiracy theory. So over the past few months, it's been kind of interesting just to see the flood 
against the idea of conspiracy theory. And it's one of those things that you're kind of like, ah, oh, you guys protest too much. Now, whether or not coronavirus and all the components of it are conspiracy theory or not, uh, you know, I'm not going to weigh in on any particular conspiracy theory. Um, but what I mainly want to do is set a trajectory for it. And I think starting in Psalm chapter 2, uh, we have a trajectory for the idea. And then we also have to consider the fact that Isaiah tells us not to believe everything that they call a conspiracy. And so what we're going to do next week is just kind of develop the idea a little bit further and kind of what it means for a Christian and uh, understanding history. Uh, but I, th- I just think it's important for us not to be cracks. We're not Alex Jones. Uh, we're not madmen. Uh, we don't believe there's some cabal on the side of a hill in uh, Nepal that's controlling all things uh, with their minds and stuff like that. Uh, now, there might be people trying to do that sort of stuff, um, but uh, at the end of the day, we as Christians, uh, we're convinced that the Lord sits in heavens and he laughs at all of their conspiring. So even if you are right now listening to me and you're a full-tilt Alex Jones fan and you you, know, you, you spend your days reading conspiracy theories, uh, the main problem with what you're doing, in one sense, is that you often will place sovereignty in something other than Yahweh. And Psalm chapter 2, we get both, that yes, the nations rage and they plot, or they conspire against the Lord and against his anointed, but God sits in heaven and laughs. He holds in derision. He says, as for me, I've set my king on my holy hill. So as Christians, we have to keep that front and center. But also as Christians, uh, we live in a a really fascinating world that includes men conspiring. So next week, we're going to look at that idea a little bit more than I think in two weeks, uh, just because of the political climate. I do want to kind of brush on uh, secular humanism and revolution uh, because I'm not doing tons of evangelism on college campuses. I think we're going to uh, maybe get into a little more. uh, It's going to tie into apologetics, I suppose, but a little more worldview stuff. And I think the idea of revolution uh, will be helpful in some of our discussions going forward into the fall and conversations with the people around us. And as Christians, one thing I was thinking about, and this kind of ties in the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, as well as thinking of which, October 1st through the 3rd, we are having our um, first annual conference. It'll be a good place to meet and fellowship. We're going to have like a psalm sing, which is, uh, or hymn sing, psalm sing, which is fantastic. So, and if you become a member of the Fight, Life Feast Network by September the 1st, uh, you'll get $100 off. So consider doing that if you punch in Campus Preacher. Uh, that helps our little uh, ministry here as well. So uh, consider those things as uh, the other thing to consider is the Fight, Life Feast app. If you hop into your, wherever you download apps. And if you go there, uh, you'll have all of our um podcasts uh, logged and stuff like that so you'll be able to get any any and every episode that we uh, have so that's this episode of the campus Preacher podcast if you have any questions comments demands rebukes exhortations feel free to reach out to me keith at campuspreacher.com campus evangel on the twitter campus preacher on instagram and then keith there on facebook lord bless you keep getting talk to you next week he runs on his way there's no time to be going slow Hurry, take what you've got, do with it what you can. Cause the good God in heaven needs us, so we're in the land. Some seed fell by the wayside, some of it fell among thorns, some of it fell upon stony ground.